As we finished up the, the sermon last Sunday, uh, it was amazing how many times I was approached or reminded uh, uh, through the week by others of what the passage of Scripture had said to them. Uh, Jeff put me on a blog that uh, was another gentleman who uh, addressed the whole thing of Christ's temptations. And it was, it was rich, and I thank Jeff for that. And then it was even in our discipleship hour, which I'll make note later, that, that Matt pointed out a passage of Scripture that fits so well with the, with the whole direction that we're supposed to go as we consider the teaching of, of, the, of this lesson of, of temptations. Uh, and then one reminder after another of how, how present God is in the midst of some of the trials and testings that we go through day after day after day. Uh, and so I thank the Lord for his faithfulness, and I thank the Lord for other voices in my life that uh, have found a deeper truth than I had first discovered for myself. And, and that's, that's just God's richness as we just listen to one another and listen to what God's saying to us, uh, to us through, through one another. I, I guess I want to start this morning by kind of an apology also. I, I mentioned last week that we were going to be spending the next six months in the, in the, uh, the Gospel of Luke. Well, I don't know if you noticed or not, but the text isn't from Luke this morning, and nor was the reading from uh, uh, the reading Elias shared with us. That wasn't from Luke either. <laughs> but I, I chose these two because it reinforces very much of what we looked at last week in Luke, and I want us to focus on that. So before we get into it this morning, uh, would you just bow with me for a time of prayer? There's nothing better than to be in the presence of the Lord. There's no better place to be than in the presence of the Lord. And Lord, we ask, as we have gathered here together, for us to be alert and attentive to your presence, as you would speak to us through your word, as you would encourage us through the words of others around us who love you, as you just infill us with your Holy Spirit. May we rejoice in what we have as we have Christ in whose name we pray, amen. So the text this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and, and consider it again in relationship to what we looked at last week in dealing with temptations. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I hope from some of the things we talked about last week, as well as what we look at again this Sunday, focusing again on this, this, this wrestling, this, this testing, this, this dealing with temptations in our lives, that we can come to some understanding of, of what God has in store for us as we go through them and what he makes available to us as we have to deal with temptations and testings, trials. And, that, and that's one of the points I think we need to go back and remember that when we talk about temptation, that word is translated throughout the New Testament as meaning testing, as meaning trials. And so consider all those kind of, uh, again, those places we find ourselves that at times can be very, very difficult. I think something else I'd like to refer to, again, looking back, and I don't want to be repetitious and, you know, give you a sermon last week warmed over, 
But I just want to point out some of the highlights that we tried to make. And that one of them is that the, the rep repetitiveness of temptations. They come and they come and they come and they come. It's relentless. Uh, they're before us day in and day out and several times throughout the day. And, and we pointed that out as we looked at even the ministry of Christ, of how through his whole ministry, not just in the wilderness, but through his whole ministry, he was being tested. He was being tried. He was being tempted. Uh, the Pharisees come to him and say, if you say who you say, if you really are who you say you are, give us a sign. Let's see some miracles. Show your stuff. And then, and then that whole scene of um, Peter coming to Jesus after Jesus had just spilled the whole story of what's ahead. His, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And, and Peter says, no way, it's not going to happen. And, and it, it reads this way, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never be. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus, in that very setting with his dearest friend, has to deal with the temptation that the devil himself set before Jesus in the wilderness. It goes on and on and on, all the way up to and through the cross. It's interesting, uh, this whole thing, of, again, of how people perceive Jesus and what they expected him to be. And that would be, of course, the king of the Jews and to, to rule the nation and to, to defeat the enemies. And there's one scene in the Gospel of John. Matter of fact, it appears right after the feeding of the 5,000. And, and people are so satisfied and filled with what, what wonderful things this guy can do for them. And we read in John, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. They found their king. They're going to put him on the throne. He's going to defeat the enemy. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Retreated, fleed from the temptation. And then we want to remember how we concluded last week's lesson in terms of the passage itself, of about, again, this, this, this redundancy, this, this, this ongoing onslaught of temptations. When we read in Luke 4:13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let me tell you, he's just laying in wait for us. He's looking for that opportunity just to get us. And that's how subtle and sly and deceiving and deceptive he is. We need to look again at the, at the temptations that Jesus went through. And we won't name them, but remember they're, they're recognized in Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. And we see in those temptations the world's formula for success. If you look at them closely, you're going to see the, the temptation to, to, to acquire, acquire power, prestige, popularity, provisions, possessions, and pride. It's all there. And it's nothing different than what we associate today in our world as an accomplished life, one fulfilled when you, you possess all these things. These temptations are common to every woman and every man. Speaking of the podcast that uh, Jeff set before us, the, the, uh, the speaker made this comment. The three temptations Jesus encountered in the wilderness are the root of all temptations. What Jesus experienced in the wilderness is, is just the, the concise, consolidated, concentrated 
efforts of the devil himself in all areas and arenas of life. And then again to emphasize that we, the hunted prey of the enemy, we are to do one thing and one thing only, be watchful. Uh, Peter, First Peter reads, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. One of the most vivid pictures that comes to my mind when I read that text or that verse is when Cain is dealing with his hate and his envy and his jealousy of his brother Abel. For you remember from Genesis' account that as the offerings were made, Abel's offering was received, the first fruits, his best. While Cain, it's implied, was not necessarily his best, but he just made the offering possibly out of whatever reason, we don't know. And God recognizes that, and, and there's, an, there's an envy and a, a, a jealousy here between he, he and his brother. And Cain is plotting. And this is what God says to, G, to, says to Cain. Get the imagery here now. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to or against you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door. Uh, a, a statement that Billy Sunday made, and I wish I could quote it accurately, but he said, Satan is at the door peeking through the keyhole to see if you're going to open it or not. That's how subtle he is. He's just, he's just that close to us, and we better be aware. We need to remember that all temptations are not bad. The temptation itself isn't bad. It's what the temptation leads us to do that has to be somehow evaluated or measured in terms of rightness or wrongness. Have you ever been tempted to try something that you've never done before? That's not all bad. Skydiving. That's not all bad. What is required of us is to recognize what the temptation is leading us to. And I'd like to give you some maybe not yellow flags, but red flags, to suggest these might be signals that you better pause and consider not accepting or falling to temptation. First off, there is nothing good to come out of giving into this particular temp temptation. Nothing good found in it at all. That's a pretty good signal that you want to leave it alone. Secondly, the temptation is self-serving and will come at a cost to you and a cost to others. Uh, Chuck Swindoll in one of his sermons said, I am here today to warn you. I want you to watch out for the adversary. Guard yourself from any spirit of entitlement. Restrain any and all subtle temptations to gain attention or to find ways to promote yourself. If that temptation somehow is elevating you above others, it's wrong. Leave it alone. If somehow you think you deserve it, and Jeff hit on this really well last week, if you think this is something that you deserve, you earned it, leave it alone. It's not for you. It's setting you up for some kind of real hurt or pain. 
The temptation becomes a dominant attraction, capturing our attention and drawing us from the most important relationships in our lives. Relationships with our family, relationships with our friends, relationship with God himself. Screen time is one of the best measures of how much interest we have in those around us. Where are we spending most of our time? Holding it in our hands, sitting in our lap, watching it on, on, on the desktop or on TV. If we're absorbed in this kind of stuff, we are being robbed of some of the most precious time that God has given to us, and that is developing the relationship with the people that we love and developing a relationship with God as well. I got it. Just, it just hit me as I'm standing here. I, I get this little thing on my iPad every Sunday. Your screen time has improved, in, increased by 33%. Man, that's, you know, that's striking. That really hurts. But I, I find gratification knowing that a lot of that screen time is preparing sermons. So, I, you know, I just kind of forget that and just move on. So, This is a good one. The temptation leads you to doing something in secret, not wanting others to know what you're doing. If what you are doing has to be hidden from others, there's some real concern there. And it would suggest the temptation is something that really, really is harmful. T.S. Eliot writes, the last temptation is the greatest temptation, to do the right deed for the wrong reasons. Whatever we do as believers in Jesus Christ, measure your motives. Make certain you're doing it for the right reasons. Doing something good for the wrong reasons, that's an undoing. That's not accomplishing anything. Looking now at the text itself that we just read a little, little while ago, I, I want us to, to recognize, realize the battles we face, the struggles, the trials, the testings, the temptations are not unique to you. They're not just you. It's, it's us. We all go through the same stuff. It comes at us in different uh, forms and shapes, but it's all the same. And that's why the writer says, is common to man. There's not one thing that, hasn't been that you've experienced that hasn't been experienced by somebody else. Remember that there are others who know exactly what you're dealing with and the power of that temptation that you're facing even now. The passage is quite clear that God is faithful and is there for us as we face the temptations. God isn't setting us up for failure. When, when we even use the word temptation as testing, God is not setting us up for failure. God is in a position to demonstrate his faithfulness to us. And he does that in two ways, and it's mentioned right here in this text. The first way, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, just a little note of caution here. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This is not to suggest that God never puts more on you than you can handle. That is not true. It puts you in a position when you realize you can't handle it, and you need something or someone beside yourself to get through it. And that's what this is all about. We have, what we have as strength to overcome the temptation is our faith in God who is faithful. We have been given the ability to decide what the effect of the temptation is going to have upon us. Will it draw us away from God? Will it draw us away from those who are around us that, 
that we, tre we treasure, our friends, our family? Will it cause us to lean more heavily on him? Drawing us closer and closer and closer? The ability granted to us is not our own strength, but the choice we make is dependent upon the strength that we find in God himself. The God who is faithful. James 4 writes, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that's exactly what happened in the garden. I'm sorry, in the wilderness. It's when, when Jesus faces temptations, continually calling on God, resting on God's promises, resting on God's word. What happened? The devil left him. The devil flo uh, fled. <laughs> I was going to say flown, but no, it's fled. Secondly, the text reminds us of this help that we have, uh, the, the, the demonstration of God's faithfulness to us as we face temptations. With the temptation, he will also provide an escape. The simplest means of escape when you are facing temptation is just don't go there. Avoid the places and avoid the people who you know are usually the environment or the company that sets you up for failure. Just stay away from it. And if you find yourself face to face with the temptation, then turn from it, flee, run, <laughs> avoid it every way you possibly can. And the picture that comes to my mind, I, it, and it's such again, one of those most uh, powerful images, is if you remember Joseph when he was a prisoner of the Egyptians and he was in the house of Potiphar, and, and he was doing everything right according to God's will and certainly to the approval of his master, Potiphar. But Potiphar had a wife who had an eye on Joseph. And she was looking for every way she could to lure him to uh, become very, very intimate. And there was this occasion, and I read it to you from Genesis 39, 11, and 12. But one day when he went into the house to do the work and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got out of the house. Man, if you are that close to it, turn around and hightail it. Get out of there. God has provided us all that is needed in order to endure the test, to withstand the temptation. Last Sunday, I was trying to give you a couple of handles to take with you as we were to go into the week of, of temptations that were before us. And, and those were to, to again, uh, do exactly what Jesus did, what he used in his, in his wilderness experience. I pointed out that the first is the Holy Spirit. And upon our acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Savior and seeking to be a, a follower of our Lord, we are promised the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus himself was filled with the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is ours to claim, to, to be upon us as well as in us. And so that is, is our, our strength as well. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The Spirit is there to ensure the fact that as we, as we trust in Him, He will guide us from those places 
that will do, be a part of our undoing. The second I mentioned was uh, simply the scriptures. Uh, every, every attack that the devil rendered, how did Jesus respond? But quite by quoting the very words of God, the words from the Father, the inspired word. And, and that's, that's available to us. As, as Elias pointed out in reading from the text this, this, uh, this morning a little earlier, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. Not just to defend, to defend him off, but actually to assault him in return. To get in his face with the Word of God. That's what causes him to flee. Our reference to the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that was read by Elias points to the armor of God. And when you look at that text, we recognize that our strength and our might is in the Lord. It's not in ourselves. You look at the fact that what we are standing up against is the schemes of a, of a, of a, a, a sneaky, conniving evil that just wants to do us in. And it, and it isn't necessarily going to be a physical assault. It, it is very much a part of the heart and the soul. It's a spirit, spiritual assault. He is working on us internally in our minds and in our emotions and, and all those things. And so what are we supposed to do? We are to put on the armor of God. And he names each piece that we need and he, and he specifies what each piece will do for us. But he also says something else about this, this adornment of God's armor. is that we put on each piece with prayer. When I, when I read through this passage uh, several times this week, I kept on going back to an old, old hymn that I can remember, and, and I, I just I love the words. Um, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The armor of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel honor, armor, put on each piece with prayer. When duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. That prayer, that is the tool. That is the weapon. That is the defense. The passage points to this, this weapon that's given to us to come against the schemes of the devil. It's no nothing of, of a small consequence that when Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray, he simply said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus knew, Jesus knew that that had to be a part of our daily prayer, our regular prayers. Remember the words of Jesus to his disciples when he was in the garden prior to his arrest, when he was looking for the companions of those who would join with him in prayer, and he recognized their failing to pray, what did Jesus say to them? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is weak, or the spirit indeed is, is, is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we know the outcome of that evening because of the lack of prayer, as the disciples failed in being trustworthy and, and, and deserted him. The way of escape is to turn to God and away from the tempter. James 4, 7 reads, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And another line of defense, and, and I really want us to recognize this, because it was even said this morning in many ways in the prayer time we had uh, at our 9 o'clock hour, 
in one of Dawn's prayers where she, she highlights the fact of we're not in this alone. We're in it together. Matt highlighted it last Sunday in our discipleship hour. So I'm pointing these times out in the life of our church of where we really have the opportunity to speak into one another's lives, of where it does fortify the fact that we are together and, and we are both accountable as well as in a position to assist one another. Matt pointed out uh, Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We can be such an encouragement to one another. But, but, but we have to have the ears that are open to hear the wise counsel of godly men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ who want to speak into our lives, not in a judgmental way, but in a way to encourage us, to hold us accountable to the promises as well as the, uh, the statutes that we find in God's Word. That's what I mean when I say we, we're, we're not alone. We have a responsibility one to another. And we have to be open to receive what we can receive from one another. Our journey in faith is not meant to be alone. We need each other to encourage one another, to stay the course and listen to God's counsel. However it may come to us, whether it's a sermon on Sunday morning, whether it's a discussion hour after, after the morning service, whether it's in the Wednesday night gathering when you're being led in discussion of God's word, listen. Listen to the counsel that can keep you on the right and straight way. And finally, our defense is in the name of Jesus Christ. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus has gone through it he knows everything that we're going through. And he is in the best position of anyone ever to be able to carry us through these tough, difficult, testing, tempting times. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 remind us, since then we have a great high priest. That's one who goes before us in the presence of God on our account, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's good to come out of temptation. There is good. Because it puts us in a position to evaluate where are we in our relationship to the Lord? Deuteronomy 13, 3 says, For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. A temptation can measure where we are in relationship to the one who loves us and the one who has been faithful to us and the one we are charged to depend upon in times of temptation. And then there's a great, great promise 
that again we find in James 1.12. And I'll just conclude with this. This is, I think, a, a, a benediction. Oh, I've got to be careful there because that will imply we don't have a hymn. So <laughs> I've done that before. <laughs> this, is, this is to serve as a conclusion of the message to suggest remember this and remember this alone. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James 1.12. Let's pray. You went through it for us, Lord. You've been through it all. You know, you know us. You know how we will stand and, and when we will fall. But you are there to you are there to give us the victory over the temptation. You are there to pick us up when we fall. You are there to forgive us of our failures and our sins. You are there because you love us and you're faithful to us. And now, Lord, as we go into this world the week before us, facing temptations, may we go with Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.